Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, Hello and welcome to the Buckets and Tea NBA show. I'm your host, Catherine Eicher. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode. Today, joining me is Raptors Republic regular. It's Louis Zatzman. How you doing, buddy? I just real. I'm wonderful, thank you. How are you? I'm okay. What did you just realize? I just realize? realized every podcast in the sports universe uh-huh. starts with hello and welcome. Who, is it too? Should started? I not do that? No, it's it's soothing. It's like I know I could. It close just feels my eyes. like the thing to do. That's. I wonder who I want to do like a Pablo Tori episode and be like, who started "Hello and Welcome"? Well, I have two theories. Okay. Oh, just now that we're discussing this. Yes. One is the No Dunks crew. Yeah, but they, they do their Good guess. Morning Sweet World actually, mm. so maybe not. Oh, you know who it probably is? It's Zach Lowe. He does say it. He does say it. And he's been podcasting for like 10 years. Everyone. I think it's Zach Lowe. Yeah. I wasn't trying to bite Zach Lowe's style though. But it's not intentional. You know, his, who he is as a person has filtered into who we all are. (laughs) We all have a little Zach Lowe in us. All basketball. He's going bald. Well. (laughs) <laughs> so I, it's so I always, uh, it always makes me smile when guys wear like toques in their own homes on podcasts. Yes. Well, I get cold and I'm too cheap to pay for heat. That's okay. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. that's also a reason. Yeah, yeah. That's so funny. Well, okay. Well, now, Lewis, like, I gotta like, do I rethink the intro? No, I like it. I like it. I think if you're gonna zag, you need to make sure of it. If you're like, if you're going to change it, it has to, you have to make sure it's going to be something magnificent. Like special. Cause yeah. like, I mean, like, like, I'm just trying to think of others. Like Bill Simmons has mm-hmm. like Pearl Jam music. And then you he's listen just, to like, other sports. Podcasts. And then he's like, all right, I'm here with this guy and this guy. And we've been friends for 50 years. And, you know, let's, let's shit on the wizards for five minutes. Like, I mean, that's, that's right. like, that's kind of how that one goes. Yes. I listen to other sports podcasts. I don't do you. this for a living like you. Yeah. I listen. So it's different. My, maybe my podcast consumption is like Freakonomics. Um, I listen to the New Yorker fiction podcast. Mm. I don't do a ton of sports reading or listening. Well, I think people who are in it to the level that you are also don't. I listen to like you and Samson. You listen to I me? Listen... Well, yeah, well, I mean, you know, I'm the editor at Raptors Republic. I yeah, have to make that's sure so what's nice. going on. You know, I gotta, know. <laughs> gotta make sure I'm on point. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, no, I just, I don't, know. I don't know. I like to listen to you guys. It makes me feel good. Yeah, that's, I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Samson anyway, has I'm enough sorry. listeners. I've... You don't need to listen to him. Um, I've derailed us immediately. No, I love it, though. I love it. Um, Yeah, I do listen to a lot of other basketball content. Uh, Sometimes I catch Zach Lowe. Sometimes I catch stuff on the ringer. Um, I listen to, do you know Ben Golliver from the Washington Post? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he was was with SI. Now he's with the Washington Post. When Sports Um, Illustrated was an outlet. There you go. And uh, yeah, and then the No Dunks crew. So yeah, they're, they're I, I yeah they are. I start. I kind of start my day with the No Dunks crew, and then I go on daily walks, and then I'll pick like another basketball podcast to listen to. Nice. That's where I do my listening to is walking the dog. Right. Yeah. 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 It, I I used to hate going on walks, and then really? the pandemic happened, because I always just felt so aimless just going on a walk. But then when I, don't I realized- mean to be aggressive but what kind of a person doesn't like to go on walks hates walks 
Well, I don't hate walks in general. I just didn't like the aimlessness of a walk. Like I always felt uh -huh. like I needed a purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I needed a destination. Like how and, I don't like running, but you throw a frisbee and I love to chase it. That type of destination. You thing. put a you put a bus I need to catch in front of me. There you go. I'm in the Olympics. I, am, but... <laughs> I understand. <laughs> but now, like when like when the pandemic happened, you know, I had to get out. So then I yeah. decided that walking would be my podcast time. And then yeah. it felt productive. That makes sense. So that's how I got around it. That's your destination. Psychologically. Yeah. And now I live like like near High Park. And so it's like wonderful to go on walks. Oh, I used to live near her High Park. I loved it. Mm -hmm. It's been so beautiful with the with the fall colors and stuff. And my Instagram's yeah. just been fall foliage, but pop it. You know, like 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 the basic B I am. But uh, let's get into some basketball talk. Uh, you know, we always start with NBA and then get into Raptors. Uh, last night was quite feisty. Uh, Chris Paul got ejected from the game from Scott Foster, uh, which is notable due to their history. Also notable due to the fact that this really did not feel like an ejection tight moment for an NBA game for those who watched it live or saw a clip of it later. The first text, sure, like he's complaining to Scott Foster about a call, but the second one, you know, felt kind of out of nowhere. And then he immediately teed up Steve Kerr for complaining about it as well. So there was three technicals given in the matter of like a minute with very little happening. And uh, after the game, Chris Paul did say that he felt it was personal um, they do have quite the history. Um, Chris Paul is three and 17 in playoff games officiated by Scott Foster. And that goes all the way back to 2008 with the Pelicans. So, uh, you know, it their store, their history has been written about before. It's been talked about before. Now people are saying that Scott Foster just should not officiate a Chris Paul game going forward. Cause the bias does appear obvious. Lewis, what do you think? I have a controversial take here. Yes. I think grown adults screaming at other adults during their workday, no less, to the extent <laughs> that their friends need to separate them is humiliating beyond humiliation. I used to think when Nick Nurse was the coach and he would scream himself red, I would watch that and just think I would be so thankful that my job doesn't require I shout my head off at another adult. It is, it's like, think about what kinds of people go about their daily realities, shouting obscenities at coworkers. These are not people we want to spend our time with. These aren't people who are stable. These aren't people who are healthy. And then in the NBA, we valorize them for sticking up for themselves. I don't know some absurdities. Um, I think it's I think it's crazy. Uh, I think NBA players and coaches act like absolute buffoons when they scream at refs like that. Uh, I don't think it helps them. In fact, Mike Conley, I believe, um, he might have a technical now, but there was a long time where he didn't have a technical. And I read a piece about how he interacts with refs. He was like, oh, yeah, I, I know them all by name. And if I if I have complaints, I'll talk to them like a normal human and they'll listen to me. And I generally feel like it's all pretty good. And I honestly think that there's a lot of dehumanization going on to refs, not only by players, but also by fans. Fans shouldn't know refs' names, right? Fans shouldn't be, quote, tweeting them on Twitter and shout. They don't get paid enough for that. Like only like players maybe get paid enough to get screamed at. They still shouldn't get screamed at, but refs definitely don't. I definitely don't. Fans scream at way too many people. Players scream at too many people. There's too much screaming, too much screaming in general. <laughs> Lewis just needs some peace and quiet, everyone. Uh, <laughs> well, I think like the, you know, you, you do make a very interesting point, but I feel like one thing that's sort of, kind of missing from this thesis, if you will. Is the actual relationship between the two of them. Well, no, 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 not just that, but just the fact that this is ingrained in the culture, right? Yeah. Like our office culture 
there's it's a different culture right the way we interact with one another and so on and so forth mm -hmm. where like in sports i mean that goes beyond basketball but in sports there is a certain level of aggression and aggressive behavior verbally and otherwise that is rewarded maybe Have like not in this specific scenario in terms of like getting a technical foul by a ref but it's like there is a certain level of aggression that is rewarded that would be unacceptable in any other arena let's use the word have arena. you ever worked in an office yes really yeah how did you like it um it was okay I want to know where you're going with this. <laughs> no, I'm just curious because I realized when you said in our office culture, I was like, huh, I've, I've never worked in an office. Um, You've never worked in an office. Okay. Well, I, I mean, I've worked in bars a lot. I worked in a lot. Oh, okay. Well, I had a whole other life before I became a screenwriter. So I, I used to work in, in various offices. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, it's different. You can't be aggressive towards people. I mean, I had one guy, I remember like one guy was like really aggressive towards me in an email. And then I just like forwarded it to a supervisor. I didn't say anything. I just forwarded it. But that's what you do in an office. That's right. Right. Pass like the buck. you pass the buck. Also, like it helps when things are in writing because now you have receipts, you know, and then and then you just forward it and then you let the powers that be handle it. But I mean, yeah, like it, sports culture is very different. So, yes. and I think like, you know, Chris Paul or any other player yelling at a ref back and forth. I mean, this goes back multiple generations now. I still find it embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, um, I think, I think this is very valid that, and, that this is like unacceptable and that like they should behave differently, but it's, it's not even, I accept you can't, it. you can't, you can't change a culture overnight is what I'm saying. I accept it. I just think people that who act within that culture are laughable. I just, I find it laughable. I want to laugh at them in the pieces that I write about them. I can't obviously, but it's, it's outrageous behavior, except or not. But as to the specific Chris Paul, Scott Foster thing, um, I am loath to believe there's anything personal ever since the Tim Donahue situation, the NBA has, instituted a really really tight ship of checking every call made by refs internally and externally so they have an external monitor for every call made on the court and an internal monitor so they're all checked twice and it the idea of there being a personal grudge between someone um and it not getting picked up when they go through the the every grain of every interaction to such an absurd extent seems unlikely to me. Um, it's more likely to me that um, Chris Paul is suffering from the um, like, I don't know what it's actually called, but it's like the, the full moon syndrome where um, a lot of healthcare workers um, think that people act more strangely during a full moon it's also the same in bars, right? Servers think people act. It's like if you have Scott a crazy Foster table. Foster is his full moon. Well, yeah. It the idea is if someone's acting crazy, you're more likely to remember that it is a full moon uh, th than when they are acting crazy and it is not a full moon. So it's just a form of selective memory. Um, basically, once you've imp like imprinted an expectation in your brain, uh, we all suffer from this, right? This is not a. This is not a rare thing. This is a universal syndrome. I don't know what it's called, but I call it the Fulman syndrome. And I think it's quite likely that at some point, Chris Paul was like, oh, this guy hates me. And now he just remembers when his calls go against him. But like Chris Paul is a very controversial player with refs. I mean, he, everything he does on the court is meant to really toe a very fine line with referees. Yeah, he it's, can, he's antagonistic. It's quite likely that he's going to be outraged at any referee working with him by virtue of his game. So I think it's a whole lot of nothing and fans aren't aware of the level of oversight. Um, so, you know, I don't think it would be hard to convince people to jump on it. Remember the whole Jaron Jackson Jr. gets more calls at home thing and everyone jumped last year and everyone jumped on that. If you actually went through the film, it was like all legitimate blocks 
just people have no idea what they're looking at. So they just don't know how to credit it. And then finally, the three and 17 stat, that's the craziest small sample size. That's such a low sample size, particularly for the playoffs when Chris Paul's only playing really good teams, right? And Scott Foster only referees like high value games in the playoffs because he's considered one of the best refs. So yeah, I, th- I think it's unlikely that there's actually a grudge match between the two. There are technical fouls that are personal sometimes. Maybe that was one of them last night, but I wouldn't go further than that. I mean, the, the interesting thing about the 3-17 and 17 stat is I've never seen a stat like that between a player and a ref. How many player ref stats have you seen? Very few. You know what so I mean? Like it's not, it's not, a, a, but what like my that. point, my point is, is that it's not a common stat. So that's the thing. It's like, you don't know if that's a common stat that's or right. if it's actually so egregious that that's why it got pulled out of the statosphere because it's so rare. So it's like, I, I don't know which one that is, but I do if it find was very it rare. interesting that the, you know, ESPN, Brian Winhorst is really the one that's put his cap on that stat and has made it more well-known. If it was very rare, I imagine when you heard the stat, you would also hear what the rarity is. And the fact that they don't tell you if it's rare or not probably means it's not particularly rare. Interesting. But okay, so then how do you feel about Chris Paul saying that he feels that it's personal? I'm sure he does feel that way. Because he's been in this league for a very long time, and he hasn't said that about any other ref, despite the fact that he's antagonistic all the time. Yeah, I'm sure he does feel that way. Um, I'm sure Chris Paul uh, was very upset with how that game was refereed last night. I didn't watch the game last I should add I did not watch. I watched a clip of what happened between them. Um, I also thought it was a little bizarre, the technical fouls that were given. I've seen lots of bizarre technical fouls given though. That's not uncommon in the least. Well, I think it's like, it's one of those things where like it, it it's very subjective in that any other ref might've just left it at one. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, Chris Paul, can I swear? You can. Chris Paul you're, called you're, him. You're the player. editor. No, I'm kidding. Right. That's a, that's a, that's a, just a, that's a technical foul. And you could see it, right? He gave a technical foul. He walked away to de-escalate. That's Scott Foster. And Chris Paul shouted, you're a bitch. You're a bitch. That's a technical foul. Like but just by the letter of the law, that's what that is. Uh, unless you're Draymond Green, that's a technical foul. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I sure. Like, I don't know what these guys are saying all the time and what goes too far or doesn't go too far. I mean, you know, I think a lot of uh, that type of language gets used. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, to me, it feels weird. To me, it, it feels like I know a lot of people are harping on this. And maybe you're right. Maybe it is nothing. But to me, it feels like there's something there, um, especially for a player to come out and say, like, it feels personal. Scott Foster hasn't commented on it beyond just saying that. Uh, it was unsportsmanlike conduct, and that's why he, the two texts were given. He was very he said, technical. who's a bitch now, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he copied Rudy Gobert and was like, oh, he was just sad Draymond wasn't in the game or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. It's something Christopher keep... Paul acted against the rules. And... Yeah, I mean, the funniest thing was that, like, after the game when uh, Chris Paul was talking about it, he was like, "Yeah, well, I guess there'll be a call during a game seven at some point with him, or a game officiated by Scott Foster with him at some point." They're not even in the playoffs right now. <laughs> the Warriors are eleventh in the West. So... Maybe he was just upset about that. Maybe, but as of right now, there is not a game seven on the horizon for this Or even team. a game one. Or even a game one. So, you know, they've got a lot to figure out. Um, a lot of people have been talking about the whole Clay Thompson, Andrew Wiggins thing. I didn't know how much I wanted to get into that, but because um, I just feel like everything has been said. Because I assume people who listen to this podcast also listen to other sports content, like myself. <laughs> Maybe I yeah. shouldn't. But uh, a lot of people are like, Clay Thompson is washed, he's done, blah, blah, blah. I personally don't feel that way. I also have a huge Clay Thompson bias. I love him. But uh, but to me, I think Andrew Wiggins is far more concerning for his lack of production. His He's like, 
his stats are down by like almost half across yeah. the board. And it can't be explained by a previous injury the way Clay Thompson's decline can be explained by that, uh, especially with his age and everything too. The whole thing baffles me with him. Um, there's a lot of talk about Clay Thompson being traded. I don't think they'll trade him. I also don't think his uh, trade value is high enough to make it worth it to trade him. I think yeah. he would come off the bench before he was ever traded. And for all the talk about him wanting a max contract, it's just not going to happen. And I think he'll accept that when the time comes. Um, but Wiggins could maybe be on the trade market. I know his trade value is probably at an all-time low for the Warriors, but I don't know. I don't have like trade uh, ideas on our docket for today, but that's kind of where I would lean. Teams get old. And the thing about the the Warriors, but any super team really, is like you th they're they're um you can never doubt them until it happens mm -hmm. right because mm -hmm. if you doubt them you're going to be wrong and then you're going to be wrong then you're going to be wrong then you're going to be wrong and then finally eventually you'll be right you're wrong the whole way there so you may as well just believe in them until it doesn't happen then you're only wrong once and so <laughs> i just i believe in teams like the warriors just old dying teams until they're actually in the ground but eventually they go in the ground right and the yeah. thing about the last championship is for all of his um, seeming um, ill-fitting with the Warriors, Jordan Poole brought the juice. He was young. He was rapid. He was – he, like, just ran hard. He brought juice that a lot of old players can't. And Chris Paul, for all of his veteran shenanigans, is pretty juiceless right now. Is there anyone on that team with any juice outside of Steph That's just Curry? such a funny way to describe someone as juiceless. No, <laughs> I commonly describe basketball players as juiceless. Mostly in pickup. If someone just like has no ability to shake me with off the dribble, Damn. they're going nowhere. They pound the rock. They dribble for 30 straight seconds. That's just a juiceless like what are you doing? What where are you going with this? Wow, it just feels That's I don't Chris know, Paul. it feels so cold to me somehow. Um, yeah, I mean it's a I cold think world. It's a cold world. <laughs> I mean, I think like for all their issues with their current roster, I think their biggest issue is the fact that they're just too small. And yeah. you know, for all the Zach Levine talk or whoever, it's like it that does not move the needle for them enough. Yeah. Um, they do. I don't know who would be available. I don't know what star big or something that would really um, change things for them. But yeah, it, it's I love this team, but it's not it's not looking good. I am like you. I will remain a believer mainly because of Steph Curry. Steph Curry is yeah. just playing out of his mind right now. Preposterous. Uh, um, let's talk about another very interesting moment that happened last night. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, by the way, this comes out Friday. That's why I keep saying last night. Uh, Greg Popovich, uh, took the mic during a game, took the arena mic during a game to ask fans to stop booing Kawhi Leonard. Um, wild stuff. This is not a game that I watched. I was watching the Warriors, uh, but saw a clip of this after the fact. Wow. First of all, kind of surprised that the Spurs are still booing Kawhi Leonard after all these years. Uh, he did win them a championship, you know? I mean, I don't like the way he left San Antonio for sure, but it's been several, several years now. Uh, so I didn't even realize that was even a thing. And and it's kind of hilarious. It's very curmudgeon of Popovich to do that, but also... I kind of love how much he just doesn't care anymore. Um, thought it was a very Seemingly interesting. He does care. He's, I guess, no, he does care, but I mean, doesn't care what other people will think of him. Right. You know what I mean? By doing something yeah. like that. And uh, yeah, very, very interesting move. What do you think? If I had been at that game, I would have melted with laughter. It would have been like, I would have laughed myself into a puddle. <laughs> it's... <laughs> So it, there's just so many hilarious things that happened all at once. So one, a coach takes the in-game microphone, hilarious, during a game, amazing. Second, he's waited six years, five, five or six years to let his feelings be known. 
Because they've been booing him this whole time. Has he just been every time they visit? I mean, they're, they've been he's been in the West for a while. So that's two home games a year. For years and years. A little Twice less, a year. though, because... Uh, yeah, yeah, through the, the pandemic. Season, yeah, yeah, yeah. But so, so maybe one. So let's say there have been probably seven to eight games in San Antonio. Does that... And, Okay, Kawhi only plays about half the game, so probably three or four games in San Antonio. God, Does now that you think about it, that's fewer opportunities to boo him. But anyways, in go these on. three to four times, has he just been sitting there like, oh, oh these these bastards, these fans? Has he been furious, but just not bro- had the gumption to say anything? And he finally perked himself up to lecture the crowd in game. Do you think that's what happened? I don't know. Or maybe it just like dawned on him now that like this has gone too far. Because coaches always say they don't notice stuff like that. Because coaches, mm. they have to pay attention to so much. It's like, did, did you, I had to watch this in a high school philosophy class. It was, but did you, did you ever see the video where they, they're like, count the throws between these people on a screen they were all throwing a ball back and forth you have to count the number of times they throw it okay no. so there's this video my high school didn't have philosophy and then kind of rich t- high school you went to that <laughs> philosophy and then at the end they were like did did anyone see something funny about the video and the, a bear walked into the back of the screen like a person wearing a bear suit and like waved and then walked off and just no one ever notices this because you're focused on throwing the ball no one ever sees the bear Look it up. It's a very interesting video. Hmm. And that's apparently coaches, right? Because they have to focus on every play being run and all the coverages and every person do in the coverage and what to do next. There's just so much in their head that they almost never notice what crowds are doing. So I find it very surprising that he even hears the booze, um, particularly because he's like 107 years old. So <laughs> hearing is hard. But I just, oh, it's so funny. It's just so funny. I love it. I mean, I love that he did it. I really love that he did it. Maybe he's like, you know what? We have Wemby now and you need to move on. Maybe it's the Wemby present. He waited. Do you think he was right? Do you think the crowd is wrong to boo? Ooh, that's a good question. This is going to be interesting. Curious to know what the Toronto Raptors fans think as a fan base that booed Vince Carter for 10 years. Um... We booed Vince for probably too long. No, I 10 think, years I, is a I long think... time to boo him. I mean, I was upset too. I was heartbroken. I loved yeah. Vince. But by 2014, I was over it. Um, yeah. At that point, I mean? it's like, just... He left in 2004. That point, your your subconscious has taken over. It's like I've booed for so long. I don't know how else to live my life. You're just um, bo- autopilot booing. Yeah, you're auto booing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I, I think why deserves a few boos, but maybe now we're enough years removed. I think booing. So a lot of fans are like, well, never tell a fan not to boo. Fans are allowed to. Boo. I think fans can boo improperly. Like I think the Goran Dragic boos were really stupid because he was a bit <laughs> player. He was like a nothing. <laughs> He was just like beneath I agree. I agree. the Raptors, right? Such a such a nobody in the grand scheme of yeah. things. Yeah, it's us it's it's Raptors debasing fans. yourself to boo a, a like a bench warmer, right? <laughs> um, but Kawhi Leonard, I mean, it's hard to know. Like, you know, his camp has maintained that the doctors misdiagnosed his knee, and he didn't trust the team, and the bridges were broken. Um, but fans don't see it that way. Fans saw a star who quit on the team and didn't want to be there anymore. And so I, I don't think booing Kawhi is beneath them. Uh, I have no problem with them booing Kawhi Leonard. Fans in today's day and age don't do enough in stadiums. They're too busy like tweeting at players from mm-hmm. within the stadium. I think more in-stadium booing, cheering is good. Uh Stadiums are quiet. There's so much piped-in fan noise everywhere now. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty rough. I I agree. I noticed there was a shift um, a few years ago 
where like being in a stadium is just a lot of people looking at their phones, even though we've had phones for a long time, but it feels like in more recent years, it became more about being on your phone, which is not great. Also, it's like, it costs enough money to be at a game to actually just like watch the game. So many people, not that I'm not looking at my phone either. I'm not claiming I'm better than anybody, but you know, I did like, I've complained about this on this podcast before, but I went to, um the philadelphia playoff game when we lost in the first round Mm -hmm. 2022 Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh it was that game where we lost in overtime and uh joel and beat hit that three and game there you know it it was a close fourth quarter things were intense this is the playoffs and there was a guy next to me that was filming himself let's go raptors and I was so livid. I was like, leave. Think of the Instagram story, though. That's an expensive Instagram story. That's right. That's an expensive Instagram story. You know what I mean? Like, to like in the fourth quarter of a playoff game to be filming yourself, it's like, you're not real. You're not. You should have taken. You, you are only here for clout, and that bothers me. You should have taken the in game mic and lectured him about it. I wish. I wish. I hated that whole crowd. It was like, I was in the 300s and there were like Bay Street suit guys there. And like, no one wanted to wear the free t-shirt because everyone's fits were nicer than the free t-shirt. That's when I really knew things had changed. Yeah, it's the thing about the old days is they the old days. Damn. Don't make me feel old. I am old. It's fine. Um, Should coaches even be allowed to take the in-game microphone? No, but he's Popovich. (laughs) It's just such a bizarre circumstance. No. What if he set a precedent? What if coaches take the microphone now and be like, Gary, I've been trying to tell you we're running like, you know, we're running thumbs down on this set. You haven't acknowledged me. Gary, listen to me, please. Like, where's the line now? If now that he started, I love that if you were a coach and you took the microphone, that is what you would say. (laughs) I'd be like, because it's uh, the first thing you thought of. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They take the mic and they're just like, uh, this ref is taking things personally and I'm not okay with it. And I demand a review. (laughs) Takes the mic, Scott Foster, you're a bitch. (laughs) (laughs) That would get the crowd riled up. That would be too riled up. A little too riled up. Yeah, that would become a scary crowd, actually. Yeah, that would be like Malice at the Palace. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're like, okay, I'm going to (laughs) leave. Okay, let's move on. Uh, Let's talk a little. We're uh, just looking at our topics here. Let's talk a little bit about this rookie class so far. A lot of talk about Wemby. A lot of talk about Chet. Um, To me, they are clearly the most impressive uh, rookies this season so far. Chet really kind of leading, I would say, the rookie of the year race. Uh, but they're both really fun to watch. Also, Chet's just on a better team. And I feel like some, yeah. I feel like people are actually a little hard on Wemby. Um, you know, I feel like he has games where he scores like 40 points. And then he also has games where he scores like 10. But he's figuring things out on a bad team. And uh, I actually think this is like my little like hot take, if you will, but a positive one is I really think these two could end up being the Larry Bird Magic Johnson of their generation. I really feel like this is a fun rivalry in the making, and I think we'll be comparing these two together for a long time. Hopefully Wemby can end up like like the Spurs can get their shit together and, you know, Wemby can be on a competitive squad. But yeah, I, I just I love these two, and I and I see the potential. I see the future of this league with both of them leading the way. Yeah, they are the future. They for for a long time, um, I thought Brooke Lopez was like we lived in the shadow of Brooke Lopez's league. <laughs> <laughs> when when you say long time, how long? Like two you? or three years. Two or three years. <laughs> I thought from from the box championship to about last year, uh, 
for virtually any star that was un- underperforming, it's like, oh, we'll just get him a Brooke Lopez. But then you look at the numbers, like there's only, you know, he's the only Ty Crane. There just isn't another center who can hit deep threes, protect the rim, and duck in for post-ups when someone puts a small on him. Like you can find threes who can block shots and hit threes, or bigs who can block shots and hit threes, but you can just put a small on them and then that's fine, right? But if you put a small on Brooke, he's just going to take you to the post and score every time. So those three skills, and like no one has those three skills, had, pardon me. And then Wemby and Chet Holmgren come Wow, along. so unprofessional, Lewis. I apologize. <laughs> uh, then Wemby and Chet Holmgren come along, and they are just insane evolutions of this. Like, mm-hmm. I, I recognize that Wemby's shot hasn't come around yet. I think if he plays with a point guard a little more, his jumper will look more fluid because he's yeah. getting it in more natural rhythms, but Chet shooting like what over 40% from three, he's yeah. an insane rim protector. They they're both defenders of the highest caliber as rookies. Yeah. And on top of it, they have all these in-between skills. Like they both have driving skills. They're insane gap defenders in a way that Brooke Lopez isn't. There's <clears throat> pardon me. They both have ball handling skills. They're insane. Pat. It's just like, whoa, the, the shadow of Brooke Lopez has just eclipsed anything that this guy could even possibly be. And the talent coming into the league, my God, if we can expect players like this, because part of what makes them who they are is they grew up watching everyone shoot threes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know, they were like probably six foot eight at 12 years old. Don't check my math. And they're like, oh, everyone shoots threes, so I'll practice threes. Whereas if you're that size at that age, you know, for so long. In the long, past, like, you never did, yeah. Yeah, you never did. But they practice shooting threes from a young age. And so I, just like if this is what we can expect, my God, Brooke Lopez will go from being this unique quality to, to like a mandatory quality on every team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they insane. practiced hitting threes, but also practice like ball handling and other like point guard skills, right? movement threes like they're running yes. off screen oh my god oh my god it's incredible i love that you're giving brooke lopez all this credit instead of uh dirk nowitzki well <laughs> dirk nowitzki did he ever play center did he not no he played he, he played next to tyson chandler right? okay for, yeah yeah for, yeah he was powerful but, but similar to Giannis, like eric right? dampier like, and not yeah. their not exact game but in terms of being these bigs that stretch the floor in ways we had never seen before i feel like yeah that was the first kind of real iteration of seeing that and then also seeing the league change because of it yeah yeah i mean he definitely was the uh the forerunner right he was the he was the prophet and Brooke Lopez is his disciple. Wow. But a disciple that's taken the game this in, a, Brooke in Lopez a lot of directions. Love, I did not expect. I did not he's expect. Just, he's just Brooke a Lopez disciple. He's a, he's a disciple. A disciple of, of Dirk. Of Dirk. Okay. All right. I'm here for it. Um, okay. Let's move on to our Raptors Homer moment here. Um, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, you know, we've had uh, a very interesting week, like a horrible blowout loss to the magic followed by a really fun win against the Pacers. Um, I sent you an article from the daily hive only because mm-hmm. this article was like, we are, we are on the verge of having another lost Raptor season. And, yes. uh, but I also, when you like Google, like Raptors, like news and articles and headlines, as I do, there's a lot of people that are also like, here are some real positive takeaways from the Raptors this week. And you get this combination of the two all the time. And so I want to know, like, where, where do you land? Are are you panicked? Are you optimistic? Where are you at? So I, I love Adam. I sit beside Adam. Lascaris, who's at the Daily Hive at games. I really like him a lot. Um, But what I would ask him, reading that piece, is what would constitute a not lost season? Mm. And I guess I'll ask you you in in lieu of Adam, Mm -hmm. is um, I don't think anyone expected Toronto 
or no one should have expected Toronto to do anything meaningful in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. So what constitutes a not lost season in your eyes? Well, I mean, I think that that's a great question. And for me, I think a lot of this does, in fact, come down to expectations. Like, I came into the season with very low expectations. Mm-hmm. I, you know, but I also came into the season seeing a lot of people predicting we would be like sixth in the East. And I was like, that is a very serious best case scenario for this squad. Like I see us this being a growth year, hopefully for our younger players, you know, question marks around Pascal Siakam and OG and an OB feel like they'll remain till the end of the season. But, you know, this felt like a growth year to me mm-hmm. for all our players. And then if we made the play in great, but I think to me, even making the play in is what I would consider relatively successful for this squad. I mean, like Dennis Schroeder, who, you know, has had some inconsistencies, but overall has been pretty good for this team this year, I'd say, um, is a backup point guard on a good team. Yep. Right. Like, like, you know what I mean? Then that's no Mm -hmm. knock against him. It's just on a winning team. He is off the bench, but he is our starting point guard. So it's like, when you realize like that is your team, you kind of know where they should be set in your mind. But I feel like for, you know, I don't, I don't know Adam personally or anything, but I feel like when you say like this could easily be a lost season, I get the impression that they had higher playoff like expectations for the squad. So I think I, I, I see my expectations were very micro and very macro. So my micro expectations have by and large been fulfilled. I wanted to see Scotty Barnes expand his role and his individual skills. Um, He is running more pick and roll. He's being used more in like dynamic sets, you know, handoffs. Uh, Skill-wise, his jumper looks unbelievable. Um, His handle looks tighter. His gap dribble looks, you know, there's all these little things that I'm really impressed by. His defense is like, I've never seen a player go from what he was last year on defense to this year on defense. It's insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm so impressed with his micro progressions. Um, I also wanted to see Preston Chua take a lot of leaps that I haven't seen. You know, there's other, I thought Grady Dick might hit jumpers. Um, you know, other things that I expected for success in the future that I might see this year. But by and large, for me, Scotty Barnes' game was the major thing and 10 out of 10. But on the macro level, what made what could make this a lost season is if the front office doesn't address the skill deficits at the guard spot. Like you said, Dennis Schroeder's not a starting point guard on a championship team, but they just don't have enough point guards and shooting guards on the team. They don't have Mm -hmm. guys who are going to create advantages, get to the rim, hit pull-up jumpers. They have no one who's going to hit a pull-up jumper this year, um, which is crazy. They just need some of those players on the team. And on top of that, two of the most important players, Pascal Siakam and OG Ananobi, as well as another vital one in Gary Trent Jr., are all upcoming free agents. Uh-huh. And so the team really needs to make choices. I don't care if that happens now or at the trade deadline. There's no difference if it's as long as it happens. But if it doesn't happen, if the team just let kicks the can down the road until there's no more road and then they lose the can, that's a lost season. But we'll find out if that happens. Right. And we might not find that out until the summer. Yeah. Well, the trade deadline, I expect. Yeah, oh, in February, you, you think they'll do something with Scotty by, or sorry, with um, Pascal Siakam by then? I don't think they'll go to the summer with all three of those players as free agents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I th- I would be very surprised by that. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I mean, I yeah, I'm kind of in the camp where I thought a lot of this was going to happen by last year's trade deadline. So now I feel like I don't even know what to expect anymore. Uh, with this front office, I feel like I think, you know, it, it's been talked about before, but like one of the frustrating things is being with being a Raptors fan right now is this feeling of being like directionless. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like just the fact that you have, you know, articles by various people who cover the Raptors with completely 
you know, not just different perspectives, because you always want different perspectives, but completely different ideas of where this team should be. Yeah. Right. Or where they're trying to be even. Right. Yeah. No, I agree with you completely. And there can, there can be a retroactive direction, right? They can make a choice and then we can look back down the road and see, oh, I see how that direction has been the direction the whole time. Makes sense. Problem solved. But that's not the case right now. And they're going to need to prove it. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of interesting stuff coming up in the future. Uh, another thing that I haven't really had the chance to dive into on the show yet, because most of it happened in the summer, but there's been some developments recently. And that is this lawsuit with the New York Knicks. So essentially the latest is that a court filing on Monday by the New York Knicks said they're seeking more than $10 million in damages from the Raptors as part of a lawsuit alleging the theft of thousands of confidential files. So the latest is that uh, in October, uh, the Raptors made a motion to dismiss this complaint by the Knicks and to have Adam Silver uh, arbitrate the dispute. But in Monday's filing this past week, the Knicks argued that uh, Adam Silver's relationship with Larry Tenenbaum uh, would be a conflict of interest and that Adam Silver should, in fact, not get involved with this lawsuit. Um, so to bring people back in case um, they're not sure of the details of this lawsuit. So the Raptors hired a uh, former Knicks uh, video assistant. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name. Is it Azatam? Uh, yeah. Azatam. Um, as I believe he he was an analytics uh, video development assistant. And then I believe he was uh, hired to be a director in Toronto. But anyways, it is claimed that he uh, deliberately violated a term uh, in his employment agreement uh i guess allegedly like violating these privacy laws and that the raptors uh knew he was uh violating his previous employment agreement uh and knew that he was conducting himself in quote wrongful acts so that is why this lawsuit exists uh lewis break this down for us what is going on Remember earlier in this very podcast when you said <laughs> NBA culture is not the same as office culture? Yes. In the office, if you download go. your previous propri proprietary information and send it to your new email address, that's illegal and you're going to get punished. Now, in the NBA, that remains illegal well it's certainly frowned upon but it's extremely common not done as sloppily as the raptors did it the raptors did it very sloppily right you don't email it to your own address that's not how you move work along but the most likely thing that happened and this isn't just me as a biased observer this is um, from anyone really who knows anything about how the nba actually works people who used to work there and such, is he downloaded his former work, brought it with him for his uh, his application, right? His job application. This is work I've done, right? This is an example of some work I've done. Um, as someone with a Synergy login uh, and as someone who has sent people thousands of files from Synergy, because each file is like six seconds long, I've sent Samson thousands of files for one piece he's doing. That's not a lot. That's like two hours of film. That's a normal amount of stuff for like someone who works in the business. It's crazy. So um, yeah, they did it sloppily, right? The Raptors are probably going to get dinged. They're going to get slapped on the wrist because they did sloppy work. But they did sloppy work that everyone in the industry does. And so I understand why the Raptors said Adam Silver should arbitrate because every team does this. And Adam Silver would say, James Dolan, you are embarrassing the league. In fact, if Adam Stern, pardon me, if David Stern was still the commissioner, there would be bodies in the ground before he would let this get out of the in-house settlement, <laughs> right? He'd, he would, like, as... That's true. He would have opened up his wallet and said, what do you want? You want money? How much money? I'll give you bills right now, but you will never mention this again. 
Like he would, he would never have allowed this. This is absurd. This is actually an absurdity that this is going to court. I imagine the Raptors lose. They have to pay like $10,000 or something. $10 million is a joke. They'll probably pay like $10,000 or something. You know, by the letter of the law, they committed, you know, they violated the trades, whatever it is. I don't know. But not to a degree that matters. It, it affected no meaningful, you know, uh, competitive whatever. And there's a reason why the Knicks are trying to not have it arbitrated by the league, even though by the letter of the law, it falls under the the jurisdiction of the league. And so he's going to lose that, right? Adam, Adam Silver, if he wants to adjudicate this, has every right in the books to do that because he is the commissioner of the NBA and they are franchises of the NBA. And so they're saying the, the, their case is on one hand, this is not a competitive violation, which is why it doesn't go to the NBA. But on the other hand, they're suing for competitive violation. It's an absurdity. Um, it's human. It's embarrassing for the Knicks that they're pursuing this. It's crazy. You're embarrassed by it. this whole league, Lewis. Um, I'm, but I'm I a can't... dignified person <laughs> being faced by an undignified world. Wow. Aren't we all? Um, Aren't we all? <laughs> I feel like... Uh, personally, like my first impression was I'm shocked that the New York Knicks have files of value. Um, this is the New York Knicks. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, Synergy, they don't have these files. Like, if you want the files, I could go get you those files right now. That's wow. the crazy part. I mean, if I was a real journalist, maybe, but um, but you but could do it. Could. You could you could do like, it. Hard. These are not difficult. That's the craziest thing. It's like, this is not proprietary. They pay Synergy for this. So I guess like, you know, it's, it's paid stuff, but it's also like not high value. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, Dolan gives me the impression that he's, he's a bitter Betty. Um, but also didn't Betty. he, didn't he like resign from certain yeah. NBA operations? There was yeah, a funny he said, nobody quote likes from... me. I'm taking my ball and going home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He li but he he has a quote from the summer that was like, uh, I understand people don't want to <laughs> know what I have to say about the NBA. Yeah. Like, people don't care what I, what I think, which is like a very weird thing to hear a billionaire admit. You just are yeah, not used to billionaires admitting that we don't care about what they think i mean hello other billionaires should maybe take note but yeah the whole thing is truly bizarre and yeah. it, and it's dragging on that's the other yeah. thing about this is that it's really dragging on and you're right i do feel like at some point the raptors will end up paying that 10 mil and and they'll move on from this oh, way less way less than 10 mil. way less J but James that's Dolan. okay well that's what the that's what the lawsuit is worth right now yeah, but you, yeah, just because you uh, sue for that. Yeah, they can settle for less. It. I understand. Um, James Dolan should take all his money and buy himself a spine. Like, this wow. is crazy. I can't believe it. Wow. Maybe... Or he can buy himself his own, you know, proprietary video database in that you could actually allege corporate espionage if it got stolen. Because synergy is not that important. Right. Well, do, I mean, is it so um, not classified that the Raptors could actually win this thing? Well, no, because it's paid, right? If it was free, it's then paid. the Raptors I don't win. understand how it works. Yeah, yeah, it's paid. So so my access is through um, the former 538. So it's like an ESPN login, right? Um, synergy is about to... So synergy... Okay. There's a couple paid stats databases. Um, Synergy is the lesser of the two that I know of that are like, you know, well used. The other is Second Spectrum. Second Spectrum uses the sports view cameras um, that are in all the stadiums and take like, uh, like seven shots a second or some 12, I don't know, some number of shots a second every second for every game. They sort all the database. And so Second Spectrum has all the data for like play any play with a pick for example whether it's at the beginning at the end where synergy is just plays that end in a pick so it's a lot lower value than second spectrum it has a lot less sort of detail than second spectrum um it's going to be better because hawkeye which is like a new 
3D modeling camera that they're putting into stadiums will be through Synergy. Doesn't matter. They don't have access to that right now. It's not working very well. Ben Dowsett has some good reporting on that if anyone cares. But um, yeah, the, you know, uh, you know, these stats databases are not unique to NBA teams. They do have in-house statistical modeling that if someone stole that, that would actually be a big deal, right? That stuff is like, they designed it in-house, they created it, they paid a lot for it, they use it, it's important. I don't have access to that. I don't know what that is. But I know that the stats they use in, by NBA teams are way above the stats available on Second Spectrum and Synergy. Well, but, I mean, the lawsuit does say that it is, pro it is in fact, proprietary information. Yeah, because he it's, it's like... Um, it's a clip reel, basically, right? That's what you can do with synergies. You can. That's make what a, makes uh, it proprietary. Yeah, it's, it's the work that goes into putting all the clips together. Right, which is their analysis, essentially, of those clips. I guess his analysis. His right? analysis of because it's clips. his job application. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I get it. I didn't know that that was the whole behind the scenes how it works. So now we know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, just really bizarre stuff. We'll see if uh, that actually uh, settles soon or settles for how much or or what. But yeah, Dolan, bitter Betty. Bitter uh, Betty. <laughs> let's move on to our Raptors hottie highlight of the week. And Lewis, it was hard for me to come up with a hottie highlight this week, but I decided it goes to the in-season court. The core itself is going to win our hottie highlight of the week this week because it is the best looking uh, in-season court of all of them, I believe. Uh, it's too bad the Raptors don't care about it more so we can see more of it. But uh, yeah, we got the best in-season court. Uh, and then also Jalen Brown was complaining, uh, saying it was unprofessional. And that's low-key a win for us too. So shout out to the court and <laughs> also to like, I mean, obviously the courts need to be safe, but it's just funny to me that like very select players have complained about it because you think that's like something that would affect everybody or nobody. Yeah. So it's like interesting to me that like five players have complained about something that literally affects every single player that touches the court, but you know, still a win for us too bad. We lost that Boston game but very nice court i have a uh, a take i know is unpopular I you like hate the courts. court I, no. I like them no even the ugly like baja blast courts with like pink and turquoise i just think it's cool to be different it reminds me of like the aba nonsense i don't think they're aesthetically pleasing but I still think it's cool that they're doing but, it. But some of them are just straight up hard on the eyes, I let alone it. what I actually think of them aesthetically. You know what I mean? Like, especially the red yeah. ones. The red ones are legit just hard on the eyes. Like The red one felt like something out of Game of Thrones. I couldn't have yeah. been here. Wow. No, I'm not about this. Like the, like, the Philadelphia court is, like, really terrible. And I'm like, but they also have, like, blue and white. And, like, that was, like they could have easily gone for like a more Americana look because that's like their whole logo anyways. I don't know why they chose not to do that, but then like teams like the bulls, like they got to grayscale that a little more. Like that's like, yeah, the gray has turned up. I like the Orlando magic's court too. Yes. Which was some grayscale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Teams that toned it down a little, I think look good. Yeah, because um, I think but, like they all looked nice as like a thumbnail on on your yeah. screen when you first saw like the previews of it. But then the actuality is just the Miami Heat was like just the blood red, right? Just pure red. Yeah, I think, I think that so. was the heat. I love that. That was so psychotic. <laughs> but you that love it for all the wrong reasons. Yes. You love it like a toxic girlfriend. Like you love it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Manic okay. Pixie Dream Court. There you go. <laughs> but the court wins it. Shout out to the court. Hopefully the Raptors have a hottier week this week and I can have like a real person pick. 
but let me know if you feel like I missed a hottie highlight that you would like to be highlighted. Um, Lewis, thank you so much for joining me this week. Uh, let us know what you're up to and where people can find you on the internet. Yeah, thank you. This has been a pleasure. I always really, really enjoy coming on. So thank you. Um, I have a piece coming out. Well, that came out this morning as of the listening to this piece mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, about Pascal Siakam, which I'm really, really excited about. Super fun um, writing. Uh, I'll just leave it at that. I'm really oh, you're not going to tell us any. Bit well, it's about it's this it's piece? about it's about Pascal Siakam's post ups, but I'm trying to mimic the rhythm of his post-ups with the writing where it's like choppy, 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 and then like long and flowing with like the spin. So um, I'm really enjoying the process of that. And uh, yeah, you can find that at Raptors Republic. That's fantastic. Um, I have a piece coming out about Scott Foster being a little bitch. <laughs> 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 that will not be on Raptors Republic. But uh, thank you again for tuning in. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Okay, bye.